Well, it's a delight to be with you this holiday weekend. We were in New York City last weekend visiting our two youngest children that are now living there in Brooklyn, and it was hot and sweaty, and there was lots of concrete and lots of people, and it's a delight to be back in Michigan, but it was also a delight to see them. This morning's message is called Keeping Hope Alive. And our text in just a few minutes will be coming from John chapter 4. The Appalachian Trail begins in the state of Georgia and ends on Mount Katahdin in Maine. It spans 2,100 miles. Many of you I know have walked portions of it. Many people have been hiked the entire trail, enduring cold and snow and heat and rain, crossing rivers, sleeping on the ground. But Bill Irwin was the first person to complete the journey who was blind. Fifty years ago, excuse me, he was at the age of 50, and back in 1990, he actually made the trip. He was a recovering alcoholic who had committed his life to Christ recently, and God had called him to walk the trail and share the gospel with anyone he might meet along the way. He memorized 2 Corinthians 5-7 and made that his theme verse, not only for that walk, but for his life going forward. For we walk by faith, not by sight. His only companion was his seeing eye dog, Orient was his name. He had no GPS, he had no map. The journey took him eight months. Bill estimates that he fell 5,000 times, which is an average of 20 times a day. He battled hypothermia, he cracked his ribs, he skinned his hands and knees countless times, but he continued on. When he got to the last stage, the parks had already been closed for the season, but they were willing to stay open for him as he ran an extra month late in the whole process. But he made it. He finished the journey. He made the long walk by faith and not by sight. Did you know that you and I are doing the same thing? Oh, we may not be hiking the Appalachian Trail like Bill did, but we are journeying through trials of life. We are walking on a path that is equally as difficult as the Appalachian Trail and probably longer. And that's the path between offered prayer and answered prayer. The path between help me, Lord, and thank you, Lord. The path between tears of pain and tears of joy. The path between anxiety and celebration. Have you walked that path? I'm certain you have. With all its dark moments and never-ending doubts, and that's why our text this morning from the fourth chapter of John is so encouraging. Let's stand for the reading of that text. And if I forget to have you sit down, please sit down afterwards, okay? <laughs> As Jesus traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? 
The official pleaded, Lord, please, come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. May the Lord bless our time in his word. Please be seated. So this government official lived in the town of Capernaum. It was a fishing village where Peter had a home. It was the home base for Jesus during his three years of public ministry. Now, the son of the official was sick, very sick, about to die sick. And the official's money could not provide healing through doctors or medicine. Jesus was well known in Capernaum. Perhaps one of the villagers suggested Jesus to the official. After all, he was known for having healing power. But Jesus wasn't at home then. He was 18 miles away in Cana. You remember Cana, the place where Jesus performed his first public miracle, changing water into wine at the wedding. Well, this father was desperate, so he set out to journey the 18 miles to find Jesus in Cana. When was the last time you walked 18 miles? I think for me it was last weekend in New York City. <laughs> I, my daughter showed us that we could check our phones and find out how many steps we'd taken that first day, it was um, 17,500 uh, steps, not miles. <laughs> but that, even that only translated into five miles. This man walked 18. That was no small thing. And verse 47 says that he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. And at first, Jesus rebuffs him. But the father presses on, and he stays focused on his greatest concern. And he says, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And Jesus responds, saying, go back home. Your son will live. Now, what was the official's request? Come with me to Cana. Come with me to Cana, Jesus, before my son dies. So the answer he received from Jesus wasn't exactly what he wanted. He had asked, won't you please come with me? What if he returned home and found that his son was worse or had died and Jesus was nowhere nearby? So the official had a choice before him. He could either take Jesus at his word or give up hope. And in verse 50 we read, and the man believed what Jesus said and started home. The New International Version says, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. He believed in what Jesus told him. What about you? Do you find yourself somewhere between Capernaum and Cana? You've prayed a heartfelt prayer, just like the government official did. You've asked the Lord to help you. And like the boy's father, you, you didn't receive the answer in the way that you wanted, or the answer has not come yet. And so here you are doing your best to keep going, putting one foot in front of another, walking that path of obedience. This is the struggle of unanswered prayer. 
or not answered in the way I wanted prayer. You know what I'm talking about. You pray and the job situation doesn't improve. Your wayward child remains a prodigal. The health issues don't go away or they require surgery and a long rehab. When we ask God for plan A and he responds, responds with plan B, what do we do? How do we find the strength to do in our lives what Bill Irwin did out on that Appalachian Trail? How do we walk by faith when we are blind to the solution? How do we keep hope alive? Your life contains many walks from Capernaum to Cana, journeys between offered prayer and answered prayer. So how do you keep hope alive? You know, sometimes the English language waters down the meaning of certain words, and one of those is the English word hope. We say, oh, I hope my team wins the championship, or I hope I'll get the job. And the word hope sounds more like a wish that is far from certain. But in the language of the Old Testament, the word hope, tikva, means to wait eagerly for a sure thing. It's not a wish. It's a certainty. And I'm waiting for it. And I don't have it yet, but it's coming. In fact, in many languages, the same word is used for both to hope and to wait. That's why Paul says to us in Romans, if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The New American Standard translation says, we wait for it with perseverance. Think about it. Patience and perseverance have delay built into them, right? Waiting. But in this day of instant messaging and things just to click away on our computer or our phone, we find it harder than ever to wait. I know I do. It's been really hard, hasn't it, the past year with COVID? It's been difficult to wait for things to open up again. It's been hard to wait for a vaccine to be developed. It's been really hard to postpone family gatherings, sometimes to have weddings reduced to just a handful of people, and funerals not to take place at all, or only with just a few there. We've been told relief is coming. Things will open up again. You will be able to get the vaccine. But it's hard to wait, and we have our doubts. I'm sure that the Roman official had questions when Jesus told him his son would be healed and he should return to Capernaum alone. Could Jesus be trusted? Would his words of promise have any effect back at home, 18 miles away? The official's plan A was for Jesus to come along with him. But Jesus responded with plan B. But verse 50 tells us the man took Jesus at his word and departed. And you know, after he had been on that path for some time heading towards home, he discovered something unexpected as he walked toward Capernaum. His servants met him on the way with the wonderful news that his son was already healed. The presence, the authority, the power of Jesus had gone ahead of him. Oh, he thought he was walking the path alone, but he wasn't. Jesus had supernaturally gone before him into the man's home, not only healed the little boy, 
but started working in the hearts and spirits of all the family to come to faith in him. Was the man's prayer answered? Indeed. It was answered in a way that was even greater than what he had requested. Your prayers will be answered too. Perhaps the answer will come this side of heaven. Perhaps it will await you on the other side. It may not come in the way you requested or as quickly as you want, but it will come. That's why Philippians says, I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finished finally on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Jesus promised the boy's father a sure blessing at the end of the journey, and he promised the same to us. But how do we keep that hope alive as we make that long journey between offered prayer and answered prayer? I want to give you two practical ways this morning to keep hope alive. They both call us to focus our attention upon God and who He truly is. And that's because you and I tend to project onto God the same human characteristics, the same traits, attributes that we find in others or we find in ourselves. And that gets us into trouble. That leads us to doubt God's claims about Himself. Because in the world we live in, we find many people cannot be trusted. And that can make it hard for us to take God at His word. We find that people may offer to help and have good intentions, but they don't have the power or the ability to actually accomplish what they intend to do. So we say, I don't think even God can fix this mess that I'm in. But God challenges us when we project the weaknesses and shortcomings of others or ourselves onto Him. He says in Psalm 50, you thought I was altogether like you. If there's a verse that belongs on the dashboard of your car, or the mirror of your bathroom, or your refrigerator, it is Psalm 50, verse 21. You thought I was altogether like you. The Bible uses irony and sarcasm, and I love it, because I come from a family that used a lot of it. You thought I was altogether like you, but he's not. So the first way that we keep hope alive is this. We focus on the character of God, the character of God. And how is God's character altogether different from our character as human beings? Well, there's several ways. First of all, God is absolutely trustworthy. If God gives his word, it's as good as being done. How different that is from our world where promises are so easily broken. In fact, a person giving their word today finds that it's become so lightly regarded that we've got to add affidavits and notary seals and oaths and pre-approved loan certificates and vows with witnesses and all manner of legal documents so that our word is binding to the completed act. Think about it. You wouldn't sell your house to someone who didn't show proof of being able to get a mortgage. In the courtroom, testimony that's given requires an oath to be valid, and yet we find people still lying under oath. Even that doesn't do it. Promises that we make to our spouse in the wedding ceremony are given as vows with witnesses present, and you need to appear in court with lawyers to change your marital status. But God doesn't need an affidavit. 
He doesn't need a certificate of pre-approval or oaths or vows to ensure that he'll follow through on what he's promised. The Bible says God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God doesn't make empty promises. He doesn't say one thing and then turn around and do another. He fulfills whatever he promises. And the second way in which God's character is altogether different from ours is this. God never sins. He never sins. Oh, we sin. We all know that verse. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But not God. The Bible describes Jesus saying, He's the one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And John says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So because God never sins, I can know in the midst of my doubts and impatience that he will never deceive me. He will never act maliciously toward me. And he is never the author of evil. Another way that God's character differs from ours, he never stops wanting the best for us. He has a plan, a purpose, a love that he pours into each and every one of us. He's committed to our growth in godliness. Yeah, he's committed to our growth in godliness, not necessarily our comfort, but our growth in godliness. He is molding us more and more into his image every day. And so he says in the well-known verse from Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And we all know Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You see, we must never limit God's ability to redeem even the worst, most painful experience that we find ourselves in. He can turn those into something that is good for us and that glorifies Him. In addition, God's character differs from ours in that He'll never abandon us. He says, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's why he says, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Where is God as you walk that long journey between offered and answered prayer? He's with you every step of the way. When you doubt, when you grow weary, when you feel alone, he continues to be with you. He has a good future designed for you, and ultimately heaven awaits. So we keep hope alive as we focus on the character of God. And then the second thing that we're to do, and again, remembering that God has said, you thought I was altogether like you, the second thing that we do is we focus on the power of God. The power of God. You know, God is not limited in power like us. We should never project onto God our human limitations. We should never say, oh, this is too big to fix. Even God can't handle this one. After all, Jesus said that which is impossible for men is possible with God. 
When we read the first chapter of Colossians, we're told that by him, that's by Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. Not just that, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Think about it. God can breathe out stars and mountains and oceans and entire galaxies that you and I will never be able to see. We know nothing of that kind of power. Nothing. And that's why Paul prayed for us. He said, I pray that you'll understand the incomparable greatness of God's power. You and I, our understanding of that is to be increasing each day. He says, I want you... I pray that you'll understand the incomparable greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him on the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the kind of power God has. That's the kind of power he exercises. And not only that, God's not limited by time. He says, only I can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I will accomplish all my purpose. In addition, God's not limited in knowledge. He knows the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha and Omega. He knows every point in between. And that's why the Bible says, one who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Who better to guide us? He knows all things. So God says, you thought I was altogether like you. That's our problem. That's what we need to confess over and over again when we project our own limitations onto God. In essence, we've tried to make God in our own image, complete with human limitations. And so he says, when it comes to my character and my power, I am not altogether like you. There's an illustration I love to use at funerals, so if you've been to any funerals I've conducted, you're going to hear this one again. But it bears repeating. Back in 1988, there was an earthquake in Armenia. It flattened the country and killed 30,000 people. It took only four minutes. As soon as the tremor stopped, a father raced to an elementary school to rescue his son. But when he got there, he found that the entire school had been leveled. And as he stood staring at the mass of rubble and stone, he remembered a promise that he had made to his son. And he had said, Armin, no matter what happens, I will always be there for you. And so, driven by his promise, he found the area closest to his son's classroom, and he began pulling back the rubble. Other parents arrived. They began crying for their children. It's too late, they told the man. It's too late. They're gone. You can't help. Even the police encouraged him to give up. But the father refused. For eight hours, then 16, then 32 hours, he dug. 36 hours went by. His hands were raw. His energy was spent, but he refused to quit. And finally, after 38 hours, he pulled back a boulder and heard his son's voice. He called to his son, Armin, Armin. And a voice answered, Dad, it's me. He said, I told the other kids not to worry. I told them that if you were alive, 
you would save me. And when you saved me, they would be saved too. Because you promised, no matter what, I'll always be there for you. You know, God has made the same promise to you and me. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. That's an alarm. He kept hope alive of rescue for 38 hours as he lay there buried under the rubble. How did he do it? He took his father at his word. He believed and trusted in his father's character and power. Let's return to our account of the government official who asked Jesus to heal his little boy. Verse 50 says, The man took Jesus at his word and departed. You and I are to do the same. You may not know the bends and the turns of the path that you're on, but you're holding the hand of the one who does. Here's my challenge to you this morning. Is there an area where you're struggling in to keep hope alive? Where you've even stopped praying about something? Where you're finding it hard to look to God and trust in Him as you walk that path between offered prayer and answered prayer? I challenge you to focus on one character trait of God each day for the next week. Find one character trait of God each day and focus on it. And focus your prayer on that one quality of God, who He is or what He's done. And then the following week, I challenge you to focus your attention on God's power and what the Bible says He can do and focus your prayer on His power. Come to the God of the universe, the God of the resurrection, as you pray, not the God of your own making. Let God's Word and His strength and His character do what they were intended to do and keep your hope alive. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that You are not altogether like us. And we ask Your forgiveness for all the times in which we have made You into our own image, complete with our limitations and fail to glorify you by trusting you and praying to you and then taking that next step of obedience just as the Roman official did when Jesus gave his word. Increase our faith as we accept this challenge in the next two weeks and focus on your character and your power. May our faith grow and may we be a delight to you in Jesus' name, amen.